Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of bracket, year bracket. My name is Della, she, her, and with me are... Tori, they, them. And we have a special guest. <laughs> and Chaos Blue, she, her. I'm going to apologize ahead of time if I call you Chaos Maverick, because <laughs> whenever we try to talk about you on the podcast, I ended up doing that at least once. So. <laughs> it's all funny. good. I will well, respond to anything at this point. It's good. <laughs> Chaos Blue is the fan fiction maverick. And mm-hmm. should we have her plug her stuff up front? Or do you yeah, want go to ahead. Th- yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got your plug ready? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I've been on the show a couple of times now. Always so happy to be back with y'all. Um, I am the host and creator of the Fanfic Maverick podcast. You can find that on any podcast platform out there or at fanficmaverickpodcast.com. Now, normally we kind of give you a reading assignment, but this time we all just kind of come to the table with our own thoughts because this is a very special episode where we're not actually talking about specific fanfic, mm-hmm. but it's another roundtable episode. <laughs> yeah, so we talked about shipping a few weeks ago. And we talked about how we were all not prepared to talk about shipping. <laughs> so we thought we would bring on Chaos Blue as more of an expert than ourselves and us also in a topic very specific in the shipping world, <laughs> which is Omegaverse, which I had no idea what that was until our last uh, podcaster happy hour that we were talking. And mm-hmm. I learned a lot very quickly and <laughs> I was very confused and surprised. So watch my reaction video. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Well, I'm so delighted to be here as like, quote unquote, the expert witness on Omegaverse, because I have been reading Omegaverse for a really long time. It's no secret. Like I read a lot of really messed up stuff sometimes, and (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for that. But I also think it's really funny because um, I never told you all this, but the last time I was on and I was corresponding with Amato by email he made a joke about how, um, you know, the, the 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 timelines for what's considered retro fan fiction keep moving up every year. And he's like, it's moving up so far that pretty soon we're going to start talking about early retro Omegaverse on the show. And now here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so to be fair, Omegaverse stuff started what like 2016 so i don't think i don't think we're quite there to call it retro 2010 actually 2010 2010. you know what which i don't think is getting closer yeah it's getting closer i don't think that's still in your retro bracket yet but we're getting closer we're getting there i mean i think that it is because we were willing to stretch it in 2018 we were willing to stretch it 2006 so, right. Yeah. I mean, that was a stretch for us. And but... like 2005 was the general cutoff. Now it's five years later. Five years later. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Our five year anniversary is in August. So, wow. That's yep. insane. And we still have not talked about any supernatural <laughs> somehow. <laughs> you haven't talked point. about supernatural on the show. Are you no. serious? We're serious. I mean, we've mentioned supernatural. We just haven't read a supernatural fic. I think maybe we're watchers right yeah. now. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm confused because I'm sitting here going, I swear to God, like <laughs> I've heard episodes of about Supernatural on our, you know, on the show. But maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just remembering all the times it was mentioned <laughs> because of other things. Yeah, we've definitely brought it up quite a few times, but 
no actual supernatural fic. Wow, that's surprising. We really need to do that. It has a big hole, but I I don't mind. <laughs> I know. I was never much of a supernatural fan, but um I watched a little bit of it and I know that it's kind of the source material for a megaverse, so we'll probably be talking about it a little bit here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or at least that's fans cited as maybe Chaos Blue can correct me on that. It seems like fans like look at um, it started in the fan communities of um, Supernatural. It did. It did. Um, I don't know if y'all know what a kink meme is. Have you ever heard of that before? <laughs> is that what it sounds like? <laughs> well, it's these special like online forums that are created for certain fandoms. And it's specifically for fans to come on. And we're talking specifically about fan fiction people here. Right. It's for fan fiction people to come on and post some sort of kink prompt that they want some other writer oh. out there to fulfill. Right. Oh. And so it's just a party, basically, where everybody <laughs> is just putting like whatever crazy thought comes into their mind. And they're they're a lot of fun if you like that kind of a thing, you know. I love going to kink memes for different fandoms because <laughs> the ideas that people come up with for their prompts are wild. And then when somebody actually fills your prompt and writes the fan fiction for you, amazing. It's like Christmas came early, you know. Um, so that's what happened here <laughs> with Omega Versus in 2010. Somebody went on to one of the supernatural um, RPF kink memes and requested specifically a story based off of wolf hierarchy, like, dynamics. And, of course, we know now (laughs) with modern science that those old-school ideas about wolf pack dynamics aren't... aren't true they aren't uh you know relevant anymore they've been retracted but you know people still think about them and are like oh they're so amazing and interesting so anyway that's where the prompt came from it was a kink meme and somebody filled it in 2010 and that was the start of omegaverse it started with supernatural and not just supernatural but it was uh rpf supernatural oh right it was uh jared padalecki and um the other actor in real life, the actors from the brother who played the brothers, it was exactly. RPF, the actors. Yes. Which honestly, like I would probably like a lot more. <laughs> a little bit better, isn't it? It is because yeah. they're not actually <laughs> siblings in real life. <laughs> I know. So it's not incest on top of Omegaverse. Yes. Right. <laughs> Though I think Omegaverse has its own issues. Like, as we mentioned, it's about these antiquated notions of hierarchical pack structures, which essentially means that a lot of it's a lot of power play. As far as I can tell, I yes. Let me caveat: I still haven't read anything. Oh first, I just read about it. But no, you are so correct on that. It really is a trope that's based on like power dynamics. If that's a kink that somebody has, or if that's an interest that somebody has, um, they probably gravitate to Omegaverse at some point in their lives, probably because it, it really is a power dynamics sort of exploration in fan fiction. Yeah, and at some point we'll also talk about, um, well, maybe it is a good point to sort of talk about there's, I want to get into this more later, but there's a really big split with trans people who are familiar with Omegaverse. Some really hate it because it's very biologically essentialist, and some people um, really love it because it it plays around with biological sexual characteristics and um, the idea of gender and the idea of, like, 
dom sub stuff. Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little bit about kind of the premise. Who wants to take that? <laughs> uh, it seems like it's evolved because it's been in the community for since 2010. So for 10, 13 years or something, it's been evolving to this whole unique meme with its own set of rules that get iterated on over and over again. Um, I came into it because I was reading a comic and they just said, said out like this, this takes place in an alpha omega world. I was like, and then these are the rules for this universe. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I had to stop and look stuff up <laughs> in order to figure out what they meant. There's a lot of talk about glands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you learn about it when you looked it up? Oh, I, I found someone on um, AO3 that wrote like a basic primer. I, I wish I could, I like bookmarked it or something. Like they, they wrote it down a basic description about how these worlds work, including like a, a chart about who could and could not get pregnant from what pairs. Oh, right. Because there's also like, mm, I guess we're just going to use the language of male and female because yes. that's the language here. And in this sense, we're not even, we're sort of talking, we are sort of talking biology, but the biology is also complicated because there are males who can get pregnant. Yeah. And and females that can impregnate. Yes, also yeah. that. And once I found out that was a thing, this is what this whole megaverse was about, I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> because, like, um, as a trans person, it did strike me as kind of biologically essentialist because it's like, uh, it seems like this is mostly uh, applied to, like, queer relationships, like MM slash or FF slash. And it seems like it's kind of trying to make it biologically okay for two men or two women to, to be together from like a, a physical point of view. And I think that's like kind of seems like it's trying to be heteronormative, but still be queer. Yeah, but there's also, um, I think the reason a lot of trans people like it is like, you know, those sort of fantasies that you can have about your body being able to do something that it's never going to be able to do. Yeah. Um, and also like that kind of, I do, what I like about it is that it's not 100, it's, it is binary in nature, but it also has that idea that like, oh, you know, you could still have breasts and you could still be able to ejaculate and impregnate someone, you know? So like some of these things that like trans people kind of feel like we wish our bodies could do, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I fall, I think, on the line on Omegaverse, because, like, you know, you're you're right. I love that somebody wrote a primer on it, Della, and I love <laughs> that you found it, because it is true that this is one of those tropes that's not just, like, your normal average fanfiction trope. It's an actual universe, with rules and the way things work in this universe. So sometimes if, if you know, if you've never gone into it before, it, you would be like, what is this? And what are all of these things that they're talking about? Um, but but yes, to your point, Tori, like one of the things that I have always appreciated about Omegaverse is the fact that in Omegaverse, there is this differentiation between like biological sex versus gender identity. You know, mm -hmm. so like you were saying, you could be a woman 
and have a penis and impregnate people. Well, and, I just you know, that I, was a terrible example because <laughs> that's just like trans women. But right, <laughs> right, right. But right. Like, I mean, from an, an AFAB perspective, I was like, cool. But then there's yeah. also the example of getting pregnant with you know and also that like there are a couple things that actually we don't have the technology for right we don't we don't but it is I just think it's very interesting that there is that distinction kind of built in to the trope um which I think can be very helpful for some people who do have those intense feelings of you know dysphoria because you know you've got gender identity but then you also have to grapple with you know, sexual biology with the body that you were born in. And I know that for some of us having to deal with those issues in real life, some of sometimes you feel really horrified, right? (laughs) The things that your body does that you have no control (laughs) over. So sometimes being able to project those things onto these other characters in a way that's outside of yourself and explore that in the trope can be, um, can be really cathartic for some people, I think. And that's how it's been, I think, for me, is just, you know, these characters who are able to still hold on to their gender identity, regardless of what, like, their biological bodies happen to be doing. It also seems there's themes of, like, um, physical compulsion, like, kind of as a way to, like, uh, release... um, responsibility for having the, these urges it seems like <laughs> a little yeah. bit well, but there's like, like there's, there's a lot about like um aphrodisiacs and like um mm-hmm. going into heat and stuff where it's like right oh no i'm supposed to be proper but this is going on oh, right oh right. no <laughs> well yeah that actually reminds me of like another very popular um erotica trope which is bimbofication and that's like the idea that someone just turns into you know this sexy blonde bimbo right and that's like a lot of that as far as i understand it is like this whole idea that like usually there's some level of like oh you know you your iq drops so low and you get super horny like it's this release of like all of the tension and responsibility like some people think of it as like um and i was researching this the other day like you know, they describe like people's thoughts going away, like little pink bubbles pop, you know, like becoming that <laughs> yeah. Barbie doll that doesn't have to think about anything that only has to think about gratification and sex. And I think that there's an element of that, like, like you meant like, Della, like releasing responsibility, but like not just around sex and around, but around like every responsibility in your day to day life, just like diving deep into this fantasy um, for sex, basically. <laughs> Yeah. And I know yeah. like Omegaverse like isn't just sex, but it's very based on sex. <laughs> <laughs> it can be sometimes. Yeah. And I think that that's a great point because um, you know, I know that a lot of people do mention those kinds of things when they um, you know, criticize Omegaverse a little bit. And that's such a legitimate critic. Uh, what am I trying to say? That's such a legitimate point, right? Um, but in the same vein, too, I think that sometimes it's a exaggerated play on, you know, real life biological issues that sometimes you have to deal with. Because like I said, again, you know, there are certain functions of um, bodies, right, that we don't have control over. And I'm not oh, wow. saying that like that absolves, you know, responsibility or anything like that. I'm just saying that it it kind of does play a little bit into some of those real life functions that 
that we have to deal with because we don't have any control over them. And then I also want to say that I feel like it really, really depends on how the writer is choosing to use the trope, right? Because I find personally in all of the Omega verses that I've ever read that the stories where the characters literally have no control or responsibility over their actions because of biological urges or whatever. I know when I'm reading a story like that, that the author is using this trope purely for kink purposes only, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is just a kinky thing that's meant to entertain. And yes, it's messed up. (laughs) And like, you know, and all of that stuff. Um. So uh, I always like to kind of keep that in mind, too, that it really kind of, I think, depends on how the author intended to use it, because there are some really thoughtful ways that authors also use this trope. Um, So you can kind of tell as you're going along, like, (laughs) what was the intention, right, with this particular theme and trope? You know, that's really interesting because I was thinking of it mostly as an erotica trope, but like the communication I'm getting here is that it's it has a broad range. So like what are those others? Are Do you off the top of your head have examples of other stories that like are using it, you know, in a more thoughtful way? Well, I, I was reading in the comic I'm reading, a lot of it is about the um, social implications of mm. secondary genders, which I think at some point just comes back to like misogyny. <laughs> Or just that the alphas are have more and put social pressure on the omegas. Is that the right one? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just to clarify, in Omegaverse, there's an alpha, beta, and omega. And I think mostly the relationships focus on alphas and omegas because it's like the alphas are strong, aggressive, um, socially dominant short-tempered leaders, omegas are submissive, gentle, calm, peacemakers. I'm reading off of Wikipedia. (laughs) But they also, like we mentioned, exhibit different sort of secondary sex characteristics. You can be quote-unquote male or female, but apparently in the Omegaverse, you also develop a secondary sex, I guess, after puberty. And so, like, um, an omega male has a penis, but also has a uterus, for example. It's, yeah, it's interesting to me that they, that they tie personality to these secondary sexes as well. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you can't have a, an alpha that's weak or an omega that's like in charge. You know, right? Where, where's, where's the power bottoms in the universe? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how sometimes I think the trope is used in a thoughtful way, right? Mm-hmm. Because in our own real life society, we have these ideas surrounding male and female right masculine and feminine right so feminine is supposed to be soft and kind and compassionate and so you know uh, self-sacrificing and all of those things and we think of masculine in our real life society as more like aggressive and you know self-serving and all this other stuff and um i think that what you were saying Della, um a couple of minutes ago about um using this trope to explore uh, systemic gender oppression is a very real thing for this particular Omegaverse trope because um, it's this exaggerated caricature of what goes on in our real-life conversations surrounding, you know, different genders and the way that different genders present and how much of that is uh, natural biology versus society, like, putting that on us. 
um, mm. and all of those things. And so um, it, it, there's a reason why so many uh, Omegaverse writers put their Omegaverse stories in a dystopian type of like um, world right. using the Omegaverse trope because it's supposed to be horrifying. You're supposed <laughs> to look at this system of like systemic oppression and be like, oh, that makes me feel really uncomfortable because then in that space, you can explore that and you can have these conversations and ask these questions uh, in a way that may feel safer for the writer or the reader because it's mm-hmm. removed from reality. It's removed a little bit um, from our everyday experiences and lives. Um, I know that sometimes for, I've heard this before from um, from women writers especially, that sometimes it's especially helpful to be able to project those issues onto a male character because that just adds like a further step of separation from okay. like how personal that can feel for some of us, right? So um, those are the I think those are the stories that I enjoy the most personally is the ones that try to dismantle those syst- systemic, um, you know, oppression type situations in the story to point out like this is really messed up and, you know, in between the subtext, you can tell that they're really talking about our society. They're talking about the issues that exist in real life, just using this trope. And it's very fascinating. No, that's very interesting. Because, like, I think when I first approached this, I definitely looked at it really surface level. Like, for instance, yeah. the first image I got was a diagram um, of the anatomy. And I was just like, they had everything they had like a prostate they had you know, obviously <laughs> yeah. the anatomy is like quite different but they had you know penis depending on you know like vagina depending on there was no clitoris in any of the images and this is probably <laughs> just one person's interpretation but i was like excuse you <laughs> just ignoring like this giant amazing sexual organ that like half of the population it has that like by the way information that I didn't learn until I was like in my late 20s, the G-spot is really just this extension of the kind of tendrils of the clitoris that go upside inside the body. It goes wraps all the way around. And like, I did not know that until I was in my late 20s. And I'm just going, huh, how does my body work? So, anyway. <laughs> no, that's fascinating because I've never actually read heterosexual Omegaverse. So like, mm-hmm. I know nothing about like the, what a female Omega's anatomy is supposed to look like. Yeah. I was yeah. going to ask that question. What was most of the, was the most stuff you read? Um, MM slash. Oh yeah. It seems like that's what the majority of Omega verse. The majority is. is. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the majority is that. And I don't know. I don't of my own free will read heterosexual uh, <laughs> romance. So it's just not something I do. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I know nothing about, honestly, like the Omega version of what like the female anatomy on an Omega would look like, um, That's on a male, of- it, it varies. It depends on the writer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do have a, just a penis, but sometimes in some of these stories, you'll find both, um, sets of genitalia for an Omega yeah. male. And like, according to Wikipedia, there are also stories in which omega males quote unquote i just hate use these terminology but you know like we're talking we're talking like uh biology here uh right yeah i guess we are we're not talking real biology whatever no (laughs) it's all made up (laughs) omega males can get pregnant 
through their rectum, which I was like, that is what? Like that makes even less sense than having like some sort of adaptation of, you know, the front genitalia, but whatever. Well, see, and when they give birth, that's how they have to do it too. Like if you're getting pregnant through the rectum, you also have to like give birth through the rectum. They're called ass babies. That's just kind of what we call them. It's interesting though, because that so that actually existed before Omegaverse existed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all know about the M-Preg oh, thing. Oh, yeah. But yeah. that totally. existed <laughs> way beyond. And the funny thing I think about M-Preg is that it was so hand-wavy. You know, there were no rules to it. There was no universe mm-hmm. to it. It was just, I want my male characters to get pregnant and have babies. So I'm just going to hand-wave, you know, and now they can. So it was just kind of an interesting thing to see the progression from that hand waving kind of thing to this like established trope with all of these like rules and you know everything. It was just interesting. Diagrams. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was like a kid, you know, like middle school age, you know, I saw a lot of Mpreg fan art and fanfic and stuff. But like it definitely like obviously I wasn't consuming. Well, maybe not obvious. I actually inadvertently consumed some erotica because there were no filters on the internet back in my day. Um, <laughs> nope. But it was mostly the idea that they wanted to either see their, you know, queer couple, see one of the partners like taking care of the other one while they were pregnant, or they wanted to see what the offspring would be like between two people who normally couldn't get pregnant together. And I feel like this has a lot more to do with the actual sexual component of it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Though it's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, You know, the other thing that I find interesting, the other way that um, fan fiction writers use this trope to is exploring queer relationships within the Omegaverse structure, right? Because in the Omegaverse structure, society will put on you that if you're an Omega, you have to be in a relationship with an Alpha. If you're an Alpha, you have to be in a relationship with an Omega, and that's just how it works. Um, So there are uh, plenty of authors out there that use this trope to kind of talk about that in a sort of a masked way. And so you'll see these stories where uh, Alphas reject the idea that they should be with an Omega, and they decide to be with another Alpha. Or sometimes you'll see stories where Omegas want to be with other Omegas. Or maybe Omegas want to be with Betas or Betas with Alphas. And so sometimes the trope is used to sort of push against those ideas of what, you know, society finds acceptable, you know, ways of uh, of being and expressing. Um, But then these characters in the story get to decide to be, you know, pursue their own happiness in a more authentic way. It's weird because I feel like it's already in a universe where you've (laughs) essentially created around gay relationships, but in a way to sort of like, you know, heterosexualize them even more, right? (laughs) Because like, of course, you know, we've got tops and bottoms in our culture. People strongly identify, I'm a top, I'm a bottom, you know, people identifying as butch or femme, um, very, and this is like adding an extra layer of anatomy. And now in Omegaverse, you have people being like, but queer the <laughs> but queer they're like we're belling against this weird heterosexualization of relationships that are were already sort of contrived to be queer but like in a way that hetero normalized that wow my yeah. brain is broken i'm going in a loop please stop <laughs> yeah. I, I understand what you mean it's like 
this trope has allowed to like approach a queer relationship like it was a, a heteronormative relationship with these alternative sexes, genders. But then I, I like the idea of going like super gay <laughs> past that. <laughs> Omega gay. <laughs> but, it's like, it's like, but it's not even. It's like as gay as we already were. It's just like saying like, hey, why did you even try to normalize this in the well, first place? I think with some people... In kind of a sad tone, it's easier for them to imagine a world where a megaverse exists that makes it okay for queer couples to be than than for queer couples to actually exist okay in you know modern society. Depending on where you grew up or how you grew up. I mean, also there's I suppose there's also the element of like sexuality in it too, where like we're all very socialized into a certain form performative heterosexuality in our relationships, which is why people even identify as tops and bottoms in the first place, in my personal opinion. I mean, not that you, you know, fine if you like just love giving and you love receiving, a more power to you, but like there is something in the identification of that that is related to that heteronormativity. Yes. And I think that I think that's exactly where I go with it, too, Tori. Every time that I think about this, that's where I go with it, too, because like the more that you that you read into, um, you know, Omegaverse, the more that you realize that the expected behaviors of the secondary genders or the secondary des designations are so set in stone. And that's done by society. That's built into Omegaverse culture. Um, and so it's fascinating when the writers choose to kind of push against that and, you know, question it. I think that's the, one of the reasons why I love Omegaverse so much is a lot of it is just, you know, questioning the status quo, questioning, um, you know, what's society's influence versus like, you know, biological reality versus, you know, like all of these different things. It's so interesting the way that they interplay. Um, but I feel like it lends itself to asking a lot of questions. And I love to ask questions. <laughs> it, it seems like something that seems kind of familiar to me is this reminds me of like fantasy racism where you have like elves and dwarves and stuff and like they use that opportunity to talk about race relations in a way that's like you know removed but safe and this is like fantasy genders <laughs> they talk about fantasy misogyny <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that that really can't be overstated enough like that that concept of removal you know, that's one thing that we talk about often in shipping discourse, actually. Um, you know, there's a reason. There's lots of reasons, I think, why people want to ship the same genders together, you know, <laughs> in fan fiction and things like that. Um, but one of the reasons why is because it does remove uh, gender out of the equation, from the relationship a little bit, right? Because, you know, if you've got two people with the same gender in the relationship, suddenly those gender dynamics don't necessarily have to be part of the relationship. Um, and so it's sort of this way of removal, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you're doing shipping like that. And uh, I see that a lot. I see yeah. that a lot <laughs> in fan fiction writing. And I, I think it's uh, it's fascinating. I think it's helpful too, honestly. Like I know that that's been helpful for me uh, you know, personally, just being able to sort of remove that 
out of the dynamic of the relationship. So you can just focus on the relationship itself within the structure of the story. Yeah. Well, that got me thinking what is interesting about a megaverse is like you can sort of nominally be like in this universe, if I want to make, you know, this uh, queer, you know, this couple, you know, same sex couple and same people, people, ah, two cis people in the world, basically, the, of the same gender. If you want to put them in a relationship, you can just do that by nominally calling one alpha and one omega. But then you're also changing it into the same sort of representative heteronormative hetero, heteronormativity. <laughs> wow. I feel like my um my thoughts are just getting ahead of my mouth right now. <laughs> um it's so interesting though, because again, this is a world that is designed to explore social constructs around gender and to explore social constructs around biology and to explore biology itself and those functions. And I think it, I, I'm comfortable calling it a genre because now that I've heard more, I'm like, well, this isn't just like some sort of like subgenre of erotic fiction. Like people are doing dystopian stuff. They're doing some people are taking it like literally and in, in being like, yay, Omegaverse, we like knotted penises. And some people are like, <laughs> this is an avenue for like extreme criticism. It, clearly it's dystopian. So there is a range of, well, there's a range of genres within this, but I suppose... Yeah, it's definitely more than just a trope. I think it's its own kind of genre. Ooh, I, I like if that. Sometimes people are, are getting like a little bit too much into it, like identifying with alpha or omega stuff, which I think is kind of missing the point. Also, like going back to the concept of like fantasy racism is like the, once you abstract stuff enough and get into enough metaphors, it, it breaks down and becomes uh, problematic. Yeah, maybe that's why my brain is breaking. <laughs> like, um, oh, well, with the Zootopia, that they have this whole carnivores versus um, herbivores thing. But that metaphor breaks down because they are physically different. And the things thing about racism is that, like, we're actually not physically different. Well, hmm. as, like, a species. <laughs> like, equating, equating races to species is, is a bit problematic. And the... Uh, and I wonder if the same thing kind of happens with this, uh, if you uh, abstract it too much. Or like you equate too much, um, you know, gender with uh, biology, eventually. Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the people who are like, you know, Chaos Blue mentioned, like trying to subvert put more queerness into a world that was already meant to be yeah. queer. It's like, that's when my brain started malfunctioning. <laughs> but but it, it seems like yeah. it might too much emphasize the um, sexual characteristics and gender identity. Yeah. And I think that that's a valid point. I think that's a valid point that the, the, the farther away removed you get, sometimes things get lost in translation in a way that maybe is not so helpful. Um, I think it just really probably depends on the situation and and everything, because I know that a lot of like writers are writing in this trope cathartically just for themselves. Right. Yeah. Like and if that's something that feels safe for them to be able to explore those issues there, like, you know, 
more power, right, to anybody who wants to write anything, in my opinion. Like, I'm all good with whatever. Um, but yeah, like, you know, deliberately using the trope to try to, you know, um, maybe deal with like really uh, important real life issues that can get convoluted. Absolutely, it can. I think we had a, a like some really good points, which is like this seems like a, a genre that's really evolved from its, you know, its roots at erotica to become like a vehicle for a lot of dystopian fiction as well. Though I, I do wonder about that. I'm like, I understand why. But then like, how do people come into the Omegaverse and go like, this is what I want to use to tell my dystopian story, I suppose. Oh, well, I mean, we could always talk about like gender expression issues and how that often comes up mm-hmm. in Omegaverse, because you do often see in Omegaverse like and, you know, the characters with their designations who are actively aware of like how problematic you know, the societally acceptable ways of behaving are for those different designations. And in these stories, many times they choose something else for themselves. They choose a different way of behaving or a different way of expressing their secondary uh, designation in ways that fly against the face of what society would deem acceptable. And I always feel like that's kind of an interesting thing, you know, where Maybe you have an alpha who's expected to be like such an asshole and and he decides that, <laughs> yeah. no, like, you know, my personal expression of alpha is is this, you know, it's different from what society is expecting me to behave like. And I, I always think that's pretty interesting. I think it's interesting, too, because I, I think it also kind of goes it's related to, but it kind of goes beyond just the kind of like queer within the queer. It goes into like what are, you know, societal expectations? It goes to misogyny, um, you know, how that applies to men and to women and to everyone, of course. Um, and maybe this is just like, what I was saying before is like, why is this the vehicle that people chose, essentially, mm. like for this, that sort of expression? But I guess it probably started as this world that felt like it was, stepping away from reality you know in a way where people could just like give in to fantasies or whatever they were feeling and then people saw the issues and wanted to use it as this vehicle for social commentary yes yes i would agree with that tori a hundred percent um and i love that one of the other things i think um especially in the I'm kind of outing myself here, but especially (laughs) in the types of Omegaverse that I read, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of fan fiction writers out there who see a lot of value in the storytelling to be able to take their character to the lowest place that they can possibly go in life, right? Um, And I'm not saying that in real life circumstances, you can't find scenarios like that. (laughs) It's obviously in real life, we have tons of social issues and horrible things that can happen to people. But um, in a fantasized like fan fiction type arena, right, um, I feel like Omegaverse is often used to take the character 
that they want to explore to the lowest possible place that they can possibly go to see how they react to that, to see like what are the challenges and the struggles and how are you going to pull yourself out of this or how are you going to grow as an individual? Um, you'll notice that um, especially in Supernatural fandom where the Omegaverse genre is alive and well and kicking, you'll notice that people often pair the Omegaverse genre with uh, the slave fic trope and like smash them together so that you have this character in the story who is literally in like the lowest possible place that a person can be in. And then you kind of take the story from there. Um, and I've talked to plenty of of writers at this point on my show who have talked about that in their stories when they choose this particular genre, that that's what they wanted to do deliberately. And that's why they chose this particular genre to do it. Yeah. It, you know, I did want to mention that on Wikipedia, it says there's Professor, Professor, uh, Christina Busset, Bussy. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, B U S S E has described. I'm so sorry. Uh, Omegaverse as a seemingly perfect storm of tropes that already existed in fandoms. For example, the 1967 episode of Muck Time of American television series Star Trek introduces the concept of Pond Far. going to talk about Pond Far. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they talk about Pond Far and they mention uh, Left Hand of Darkness by Le Guin. Um, yeah. So I think that. I love that sort of like seemingly perfect storm of fandom tropes and that they were kind of already drawing on a lot of things that were happening in fantasy and sci-fi culture. Um, Did you guys know that there's a dark angel connection to this a little bit? (laughs) Did you see that? that A little bit too, because like she has feline DNA, so she goes into he, yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was a fun mention because I know y'all did a a dark angel episode last year. (laughs) So I was like, when I saw that in my research, I was like, oh, that's so cool. There's the connection between dark angel and Omegaverse. (laughs) Yeah. It's a weird thing that like Pond Far is like my <laughs> the thing I'm most familiar with about Omegaverse <laughs> concept. I mean, you know, again, like this is something that was already in the cultural consciousness, like not just in terms of like, hey, what if sex but different? It was <laughs> like literally like how would it affect the culture? How how much Kirk Spock Pond Far stuff was there? Oh, I'm sure tons. That's a, that'd be a thing, right? That seems like an easy one. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge thing, the Ponfar stuff. And I feel like the Ponfar stuff sort of like um, birthed this other like trope in fan fiction. Um, I hope I can say this. If not, Della, just cut it out. But, you know, you see the fuck or die tag <laughs> on AO3 quite a bit. And that is where it comes from. It originates from that Ponfar, you know, mm. scenario of like, well, you have to do this or somebody dies, you know. <laughs> Plus, totally. yeah. Plus, I think Star Trek also had, remember that episode that they had on Star Trek? The sex pollen episode? <sighs> 
you know? Yep. So it's that's kind of the same concept where, you know, something outside of your control is causing these biological urges that you have no control over. Well, and that's actually not dissimilar from um, the episode, my, one of my favorite original Star Trek episodes where you get to see George Takei sword fight, <laughs> where they're all influenced by something that makes, like, basically makes them act drunk. But then yeah. they're also like getting all sexy with each other. And that's just been like an ongoing thing. Um and sure, it's something that appeals to kind of our human in a lot of humans instinct for sexual content, you know, but like it's also it also has an element of, of horror to it. It's like you're losing control of yourself. Like, I think that most people want to feel in control of their bodies, They like their inhibitions. Um, Control is a big thing for self-autonomy and self-control is a big thing for people. Yeah, yeah. I think that the horror aspect of that for Omegaverse genre is like, that's a huge part of it, right? Because mm -hmm. yes, that loss of self-control is absolutely like baked into the elements of the storytelling here. And I know that for a lot of us, you know, for different reasons, right, that loss of control, whatever that looks like for you, like for a lot of people, that is a horrifying concept. Um, so it is interesting how like so many uncomfortable, I don't know, I feel like you confront a lot of really uncomfortable things sometimes with this particular genre. I imagine there's a lot of, I imagine that there's a lot of a, like Omegaverse, like, non-con stuff probably right there is yes as far in, in, <laughs> as what i looked at sorry i don't know i'm not the expert <laughs> that's part of the theme yes. of loss of control and stuff and like uh, yeah related to like monster fucker kind of <laughs> kind of thought process right yeah yeah and i would say that that's probably uh I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on what side of the argument you fall on, but it's a legitimate criticism for for the genre because yes, you you actually do get an exorbitant amount of non-con that that shows up in that trope. So, oh, sorry. Go on. No, I'm just done. I actually have like a kind of brief note on non-con because I was doing some research i read a couple of fictions like i mentioned i was researching bimbification so i've noticed there's two types of stories in that there's one where it's like all about the person who's transforming you know into the sexual creature and their experience and it really does actually represent their autonomy in a weird way like sure they lose a lot of self-control but like it's a pleasurable experience and then there are some where it feels more like um a man witnessing the transformation and controlling you know someone who is transforming whether they started as a man or a woman because they usually start as a man or a woman not a lot of non-binary people in these stories um they end up as a woman quote unquote so and those stories made me extremely uncomfortable and those ones are usually tagged like alpha male um <laughs> Uh, interesting right like they're not you know, omega verse stuff but they're just like the idea of the man dominating the woman who has become subservient and there's these are not like you could write the same story yeah. like the exact same events but the perspective radically changes whether it's someone the dominator or the person who is like sort of gaining the pleasure from the experience of being dominated and i think that that 
obviously the alpha male ones make me really, really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I think that there's an element here of like people can use this for whatever they want. And I think people can use non-con in ways that are expressive of, you know, their fantasy in a way that's not harmful. Yeah. I really think they can. But I also think there's a way they can use it that's extremely harmful. So that's just my little note. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It's interesting, the alpha male stuff, because it is kind of like the whole weird um, societal obsession with the alpha omega thing that happened since whatever science biologists came out with that a while ago. It's like seeped into weird corners of society where like you, you have to be an alpha about stuff or like you're such a beta or like... Mm-hmm. There's even conversation about what was like Sigma males or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been seeing that discourse happen a lot on Instagram lately, Della. Yeah, you're right. Right. Like all of these videos and reels all of a sudden <laughs> have all these podcast bros, you know, behind microphones talking about alpha male, Sigma male and yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like, what the fuck are you even talking about? And it is this Damn. weird toxic view of power dynamics that still are like um, evident in, in society today. Oh man, that's a crazy connection to think about that connection to Omega verse. That's like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the idea of an alpha male started. Well, actually I'm not sure. Probably it'd start before Omega verse was started in 2010, but like, you think about all yeah, all these bros calling themselves an alpha male. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Such a badass. Respect like, alpha. Yeah. Can I, I... Want to send them some Omega verse stuff? Like, calm down, please. <laughs> I have to read y'all this tweet that I saw like a year ago. I thought of it when I was preparing for this, and so I I pulled it just in case it came up. <laughs> but it's funny that somebody actually used like Omega verse language to clap back at some of these mm. ideas of the alpha male. And the tweet's from somebody that calls himself Frankie Larson. And they tweeted, I'm an alpha male. No, you're not. You're an asshat that thinks talking over people makes you important. <laughs> Do you even know what an alpha does? They feed and protect their pack. Where's your fanny pack full of cheesy crackers, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> And I thought that was so funny. I thought it was oh so funny God. because like, <laughs> because like as messed up and crazy as Omegaverse can get, um, you do have stories where, you know, you have alphas and omegas choosing to express their secondary designations in healthier ways that serve others rather than in ways that are more self-serving. So you will see those stories where the alpha's not out there to be selfish and to dominate everybody, but he's just there to literally like serve everybody else. He's using his strength and his abilities to literally like help everybody else. Like it's this beautiful thing. And so I just thought that that was a funny clap. <laughs> like well, yeah, modern like, society's like alpha I, I, discourse. I'm just thinking about fanny pack full of cheese crackers. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, I should carry that around. <laughs> but that like sounds like at the same time hilarious because it sounds like such a mom thing to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mom's got her fanny pack. Well, that, that's what it is, is like taking care of people though. It is. And like if you look at also these alpha and omega designations, none of the character qualities are bad. None of them are negative. Like 
the omegas are supposed to be like kind and nurturing and the alphas are supposed to be born leaders and maybe somewhat aggressive, but like aggression isn't necessarily bad. You need someone to be assertive. Um, the problem is in the binary designation of roles, just like it is in our society. Exactly. But I love that idea, though, that you can um, take these roles and d- kind of divorce them from because I just read this. I didn't realize this before. Only 10 percent of uh, according to Wikipedia, a megaverse fic is hetero. Most of it. And then most of it is probably um, male, male quote unquote, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people identify as male. Yeah. The, in in the um in the universe, <laughs> alpha and omega males. Probably that's the majority of it. I'm sure there's some lesbian stuff too, but not a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, don't I guess know. <laughs> my point is that what you've done is it's not a great way to do it because I think definitely we've already kind of criticized the discourse there. But at the same time, if you're looking at a fic like that, you're looking at someone in a positive one, like you were talking about Chaos Blue, is like someone who's like, yeah, I am, I'm an alpha and like I, I provide and support and protect and I'm an omega and I nurture and care. And now you've divorced that from gender roles because they're the same gender. Yeah. And that's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing. It's, it is super binary, but yeah, I don't know. It's more queer than the alternative <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's just fun to see people kind of play with those concepts a little bit because you know as dark and dreary as uh omega verse can be sometimes there are some out there that are just really hopeful and really pleasant to read and uh and i can see how um you know people might just want to play into that fantasy for a couple of hours in you know a fan fiction that that plays it well so yeah absolutely and i think like for people who are not men or even people who are trans men you know you can kind of like apply this fantasy to i don't know being in this role like especially like for me being kind of like a nurturing a caregiver which is really stereotyped as being feminine qualities um which I don't have a problem with because I love being me, but like I can imagine someone trying to enter that universe through that lens and being like, oh, you know, I can still put myself in the role of a man, but a man who is nurturing and caring, which honestly is not that common in fiction. Right, right. And I think that's one of the things I found so helpful, Um, you know, uh, the last couple of years reading Omegaverse because of just things that I've been thinking about in real life circumstances, I do feel like this brought up a lot of like personal questions for me as I was reading these stories of like, what does it mean to be um, like a masculine individual? What does it mean to be a feminine individual? Like, you know, I know that society wants to assign certain behaviors and traits with one or the other, but like, how much of that is like based in reality, like how much of that is real and how much of that is just totally made up, right? Like, can't you be any type of masculine that you want to be and still be masculine? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I struggle, I think sometimes with these ideas, but but it did make me question, you know? Yeah, it's it's how it should be, being able to like, uh, 
you know, a la carte your gender. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, right. Or decide, you know, which characteristics and which behaviors do you think are masculine or feminine or whatever? You know, what do you want to identify as? Who do you want to be? Right. And not necessarily having to play a role or perform something just because society says that's the way it needs to be performed. You know, what's crazy is I think just gender, uh, you know, is so pervasive in our culture. Like, um, I was just starting to say, like, I'm not a boy or a girl when I was like a teenager or something. But like the language just wasn't there and, and nobody understood me. And like it, my presentation wasn't such that they would have taken it seriously. We had a concept of like binary trans people. That idea was like you transition. That was the idea. Like, yeah. You physically transition all the way. That's that's it. That's all. That's all we knew. This like stuff has changed so so much in the last 15 years um or even longer 15 years ago i was 19 wow i'm old <laughs> anyway it's it's changed a lot since then so even when i came out at, at 23 i first came out um as a trans man um and it took me a couple years to kind of realize like oh i didn't really like being perceived as a man and at least I had that experience, you know. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, I'll be a cute little gay boy. That's fine. <laughs> like, you know, and I grew up with a lot of that, you know, queer fic too. A lot of, you know, gay boy fic. I guess my main point is that we're all influenced by our socialization. So even though I'm really a gender deconstructionist and I'm really comfortable with my non-binary identity and like don't feel like I need to be perceived socially in a particular way, these things come up for me all of the time, like in dating, in consuming erotic fiction, like the binary is just super pervasive for whatever I start to think about, like sex and sexuality, basically, but like also other things, you know, um, I still feel sometimes like I have to code switch. I try not to, but like, you know, around different groups, like being around men still makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, especially heterosexual men. I mean, not like Amato and Galen and Taran, but like, you know, other other heterosexual men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all very sweet, but I think they are somewhat outliers. Um, yeah, it's odd. It, I guess, I can't remember exactly where I was going with that, but basically that I, I guess I understand why these binary gender ideas appeal to people because they're so pervasive Mm -hmm. they're just so pervasive like we can't escape them so instead of like trying to run away from it people are trying to explore it in a way that makes sense to them like sort of like dig a tunnel through gender and sexuality i suppose yeah well i I kind of appreciate being able to read like um kinky stuff where body parts aren't assumed Mm -hmm. you know that 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 can be kind of freeing sometimes where it's like it mentions a description of something like okay that's what they have for for moving with that <laughs> that's a good point yeah too. yeah there there is something good about that yeah it does provide a lot of freedom for like lots of different combinations of things for writers to be able to do right mm-hmm. um so that's kind of a, an interesting thing about it is you can do a lot of different things with <laughs> this particular genre and lots of different combinations of things, you know, 
body parts and, and genders and secondary genders. And, you know, I'm sure that as like Omegaverse starts, I'm sure that as it continues to progress, because, you know, this was back in 2010 when it started. And I don't recall gender um, discourse being a thing back in 2010 i don't recall that right yeah so nowadays when we do have the words and the language for that and it is part of or it's starting to become part of that discourse it does make me wonder how that's going to um, evolve within the omegaverse structure because i would absolutely love to see more evolution there to kind of go more in line with what we you know talk about and see in real life situations yeah language is a lot of it this i mean just being able to have a word for something can broaden people's lives and experiences and i think that's kind of what happened to me at some point <laughs> which is well because like uh tori talked about how yeah. when we grew up like the trans experience was like completely binary and it's like oh i didn't want to be completely femme girl so that means i'm not trans <laughs> right but it's like being able to be uh like gender queer even in a, like a female gender or a different sexuality i forgot what my point was but <laughs> having words for these things and be able to explore it and come up with new words and reassign meaning is very important for some people I think. well yeah and like you know, also speaking to our generation of like, you know, being in our mid to late 30s, um, we didn't grow up with a, almost any queer content. No good know? stuff. No. I mean, I remember seeing Zena and Gabrielle kiss uh, one time late night <laughs> secret TV. And I was like, they can do that. And, you know, I was probably like 11 or 12. Like, I just had no concept of what that was. And then going into middle school, I had friends who had more exposure. But again, like, yes, I remember, I don't know, it was like 13 or 14 when someone first told me what it was to be trans. And again, it was explained that way. Like, and my first reaction was like, I was already like very much an outlier in terms of my presentation. I was like, I don't care how I look. I had <laughs> short hair. I wore baggy t-shirts, blah, blah, blah. I was like, why would you just like cut up your body like that? Like, you, I, that was my first reaction. And like growing up, you know, I, I guess it was like, it was just such a, it, such an odd and strange thing that had come out of left field to me. I was like, but I can do whatever I want. I, no one's oppressing me. Like I didn't even realize <laughs> that I was subjected to misogyny. Like I did. Don't get me wrong. Like looking back, I knew it from the time that I was four years old and forced to be put in that dress for church that I hated. <laughs> You know, like I knew it and I always hated it. But then I had this conception in my head that was like, yeah, but, you know, you just like you just get over it, I guess. You know, you just like you just figure out how to do what you want. Yeah, nobody else has a problem. Nobody, with it. Why yeah, should I? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're just like, you're just like, you know, I, I do me, whatever. Um, And I, I still have that in the back of my head. Um, And I think a lot of people do. That's kind of what I was speaking to earlier is that this is a way to kind of explore and release some of that tension. So, Chaos Blue, uh, moving forward, do you think you can have a different view of Omegaverse with, with stuff you're reading from now on? Um. Well, I think that I'm definitely going to have my eyes open to, like, 
try to pull out some of the newer trends that may be coming down the road, right, mm -hmm. for Omegaverse. Because like I said, you know, as we have more language to talk about these things in healthier ways, yeah. and as the younger generations start tackling this particular genre, um, I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of changes in the genre just by virtue of the fact that we do have different languages and different ways of uh, expressing these ideas, especially in the younger generation. Because I think that a lot of the Omegaverse I'm reading, um, the authors I've talked to personally are around my age. I'm an elder millennial, right? I think we're all millennials <laughs> here, right? Yeah. And so yeah. like as progressive as we were and are <laughs> like we've Gen Z, you know, we've got nothing on Gen Z and what they're doing right now. Yeah, we're, we're, um, we're, we're progressive in relation to boomers, which is... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, okay. In relation to boomers, we're like super out there. But yeah, I mean, we're compared not that... to what Gen Z is doing. <laughs> I know, we're not that far off from Gen X, like especially us kind of older millennials here. No, so. we're really not. Like I related so much to what you were saying, Tori, about your experience in high school because that was very much mine too. Like make a Daria movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't even know what bisexual was. Like in high mm -hmm. school, you didn't talk about stuff like that. You know, like right. you're right. You you saw Xena on TV. You know, and uh, and it, Will and Grace was on. And sometimes your parents were like, "Don't watch that. That's inappropriate." And that's <laughs> the only exposure you know that you had in high school to things like that. And I remember like being so confused as a teenager because I knew I liked boys, and I just thought, well. If I like boys, that means I can't be gay. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't Yeah. It wasn't until I was freaking in my late thirties. We're talking like very recently <laughs> that I've finally been able to be like, yeah, no, that was totally I know what that was now. Okay, cool. <laughs> Very cool. And it was the same thing with the gender thing, you know? Like we didn't have words for this stuff back no, then no. you guys like we did not have the language and so like i didn't even know that the word by gender existed until six months ago like that's how recent right like some of yeah. these things are and um and it it's just funny to think about because you know what you felt and you know what you experienced but not having the language for that for over 20 years like you know well that's that's crazy so it's crazy you know we're kind of limping along here as millennials yeah. a little bit with this kind of thing but it, it's funny because like i've picked up a lot of um trans terminology from watching um actual play shows that people playing D D. it was like the first time i heard the term dead name and figured out what it meant it was the first time i saw like um uh split pronouns i, I think like a he they i was like mm. you can do that <laughs> And that kind of yeah. helped me along my transition from they, them, they, she, she, they. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And like, I think a lot of my exposure actually came from when I was, when I first, I had first come out, um, I started dating someone who was 19. I was 23 at the time. And like, she was all over Tumblr. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like, this is like, I just got blown into a whole new world of trans discourse. <laughs> but before that, and this is gonna, I was going to say earlier, is all we had was kind of these fantasies to live in. And I read a lot of yaoi manga growing up. And 
like I think a lot about how that was it influenced me. But like I knew the first thing, first time I read, actually I read more like Shonen Ai than actual Yaoi, to be completely honest. Like the first time I saw those cute boys together, I was like, I want that to be me. <laughs> but yes. you know, I, I felt this like this like, especially my developmental years, like going through puberty, I like I I knew that. And it was so sad for me because like at a certain point as my body developed, I realized that's not me. It's yeah. never gonna be me. And and like it was like just really this like crushing. Crushing feeling. Yeah. Yes. A, a feeling like and like I, I have a few different feelings about it now as I've I've started to accept myself more. Um and at having gone through dating gay men as when I identified as a man, I dated some gay men and it wasn't the uh it wasn't the same as the Vaga. Just gonna put that out there. Smaller hands, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's yeah, smaller hands. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah, not quite as like tall and thin. Their eyes are a lot smaller. <laughs> anyway, anyway, my main point is that I think wrapping it back around to Omega first, I can see why this is an outlet and an avenue for people to kind of feel the more intermediary form of expression that isn't necessarily rooted in that same idealism that I had with my queer content exposure growing up. But do you think moving forward, you're going to look into more uh, Omegaverse stuff? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no's okay. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think honestly what offends me the most about it is the basis on this uh, hierarchy that does not exist mm -hmm. <laughs> in humans or in wolves. <laughs> and it makes me kind of mad that like people would even think that about non-human animals is applying their own hierarchy. But I will say that Chaos Blue talking about some of the more like social commentary dystopian stuff, that actually sounds really interesting. Yeah. So if y'all have a wreck, I will take it. <laughs> it is interesting, although I will say that like, you know, I'm just an old pervert. So at the end of the day... <laughs> Even if I just stick with it for the kink part, like, you know, I can't help it, folks. I can't <laughs> help it. Like, <laughs> I have some unusual taste, but, you know, we knew that already. So <laughs> it's funny because, like, for researching for this, I, I downloaded a whole bunch of random AO3 Omegaverse stuff on my Kindle. So I'm going to forget about that and open it up at one day and read that. <laughs> and it's going to be, what's this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. I'll wrap back around though. Like Omegaverse <laughs> as a genre, right? I'm sure it's got lots to give and lots to take away. Mm -hmm. If like, I give your alpha or omega. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or beta. Let's not forget about the betas out there. Sigma? I, 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 I think I'm a kappa because if I bow, the, the bowl of water from the top of my head will spill out. <laughs> Definitionely, yes, makes you a kappa, I think. Yeah. That, oh my that, was a, that was a Greek slash Japanese joke. That's for nobody. <laughs> <laughs> it was for me. I thought it was funny. You need to write that, Della, and just like insert that into Omega First lore so that it just like <laughs> spreads everywhere. So it's like, it's just this Omega First story where there's just this random Kappa gender that doesn't have anything to do with the story. <laughs> yes. They're literally just a Kappa from Japanese <laughs> mythology. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Anyways, I feel like this is a safe point to wrap it up, huh? I think we've officially burnt our brains out, yes. Yes. <laughs> My brain feels burned. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. This was such a great conversation, though. Thank you yeah. so much for Thanks having for me on so we could talk about it. Chaos Blue. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos Blue, the fan fiction maverick. Right. That's you right. Do the whole thing. There you go. Um, you mentioned interviewing some authors about it. Do you have any of your own episodes you want to recommend? If People want to um yeah you know more. the very first time that I had a guest on who was an Omega verse writer I was scared out of my mind because I know how controversial Omega verse can be <laughs> it's one of those things in the fan fiction community where you either love it or you hate it right mm -hmm. so I was scared to death to have somebody on and actually talk about it publicly. But it turned out really great. It was a really great conversation. Um, I would recommend, um, if anybody wants to hear the um, interview with Casually Neurotic, um, that is a Supernatural Omegaverse fic. Uh, it has, like, I want to say maybe 70 plus chapters it's a monster it's still a work in progress but i think it's still worth reading if people want to explore that side of fan fiction but if not the interview just by itself was was really great casually neurotic is a great writer and just a great person to to hang out with and listen to yeah, so that's the one i would recommend for national someday i think that's gonna ha has to happen it does <laughs> and if i don't know if casually neurotic's work is old enough for our uh, <laughs> our our timetable but Did you not yet you might have not to wait yet. 20 years and then you know check back in we could do know. that we'll circle back <laughs> yeah <laughs> put a pin in that <laughs> so this was our discussion about shipping shipping episode 2 into the Omegaverse <laughs> uh, you can find it on your Kindle that you're reading during family functions that you don't want, <laughs> want to interact with other people the intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The actual song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Rose, who was almost too embarrassed to bring this topic up at all to anybody. <laughs> and I'm kind of glad this is just an audio medium because no one can see how much I'm blushing. <clears throat> You can find our podcast on our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com or you can find us at Twitter. Find us on Twitter at retrofanfic. Um, I've been Della. <laughs> I've been Tori. <laughs> and I've been Chaos Blue. We're just three life forms trying to be nice to each other in this weird Omega universe. <laughs> Until next time, take care. <laughs> nice. You forgot okay. to uh, what? ask us what, what we liked and what we didn't like about the Omega Perception. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we've been talking about. In, in my She's window. like, I don't want to spend a single more minute editing this shit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, in my mind, that was the, uh, are you going to read more in Megaverse going forward? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. no. I was, I, I was Which I, I did not say for myself. I like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I'm just messed up. I'll admit it. I'm just messed up. I like myself. <laughs> I mean, there's some stuff in my Kindle now that, that's like werewolf girls with penises. You know, I don't know.
I'm going to read them. <laughs> it's going to happen. No, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's like a fantasy of mine. That would be so great. Mm. <laughs> for myself. I'm not saying for anybody else. Just for me. Okay. We're going to stop recording now. <laughs> oh, shit. Really? We're going to stop recording. <laughs>